This is 10 Questions to Cyber Resilience, brought to you by Assurance IT. Released twice per month, every episode brings you one step closer to cyber resilience by hearing how IT leaders are practicing cybersecurity. Resources mentioned in the episode can be found in the show notes. If you're ready to take your cyber resilience to the next level, be sure to subscribe so you can catch every episode. Welcome, everyone. Another episode of 10 Questions to Cyber Resilience. I'm not sure if we're going to do 10 questions today because the, the guests uh, today that I have are very busy. So uh, we're not going to be able to do 10 questions. So before we start, uh, I want to ask Julien or Ju Julien in English or Julien in French uh, and Troy to introduce himself. So Julien, you want to go ahead and tell us who you are, what you do? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Thanks, Luigi. It's it's a pleasure to be here. I'm Julian. I've been in uh, cybersecurity for 17 years now. I've been in uh, IT 20 years, sales 10 years, uh, a little bit more than uh, 10 years, 15 years-ish. Anyway, started as a, um, a pen tester at the, like, you know, legacy poison IV type of tools that mm -hmm. nobody used anymore. Really, really old school stuff. I, I probably have zero skills today because uh, stuff has evolved so much, but I keep um, myself aware of what's happening and uh, last trend and stuff. Big techie fan, uh, still a gamer at home. Um, so yeah, that's me. So GoSecure is a uh, cybersecurity company uh, founded uh, 20 years ago. We've been uh, offering from intrusion testing, pen tests to manage cybersecurity today call the uh, MXDR, Manage Extended Detection and Response. We are in the business of helping clients to be secure, go secure. Awesome. And thanks for taking the time, Julian. Troy, how about yourself? Yeah, sure. Appreciate the uh, the opportunity to talk to you guys. So yeah, uh, Troy Venon. Um, I'm a, a longtime security guy as well. I've uh, been in this field for, gosh, almost 20, 25 years, actually more than 25 years. Um, I got my start in security by necessity in the United States Marine Corps uh, many, many, many years ago. Um, I've worked in just about every security domain that there is, um, you know, go, dating all the way back to, uh, you know, gosh, uh, building and installing one of the very first firewalls in the field in, in Australia and, and in other deployments. Um, and I spent uh, four years at Quantico um, at the Marine Corps Network Operations and Security Center um, in the MARCERT where we were doing, you know, monitoring, you know, network attack traffic across all the work or points of presence uh, around the world. So that's kind of where I, I cut my teeth. But when I when I left the Marines in 2006, I joined the, the private sector and, you know, I've worked in, you know, offensive testing, you know, web app uh, testing, vulnerability uh, management, risk assessment sort of work. And then most recently, I've started to dive uh, it's about the last seven or eight years pretty deeply into uh, threat intelligence and and how to understand who threat actors are, what they do, why they do the things that they do, and then obviously how we can take that those learnings and we can turn them into good controls uh, and good detective and, and defensive capabilities. So that's a bit of my background. That's where I am today. Wow. Okay. So I've got I've got two quote unquote senior professionals with me today. So it leads to my first question. Right. There's obviously been a shift or an evolution in the cybersecurity threats. Right. Uh, and, and Troy, I think, and Julian, you, you, you kind of alluded to, you know, what you were doing maybe 15, 20 years ago versus today. So how, how, are, how have those cybersecurity threats evolved over time? Can you maybe just give us a high level of what you've seen, the shifts, the trends, uh, who are the attackers and how they attack? Yeah, I can be really like um, overview and Troy can go a little bit deeper uh, after that if, if you want to. Uh, I think it's a, a good way to 
to start. So, I mean, I've, I've seen stuff in the past that we still see today, which is, I think is the most funniest thing, right? It's, <laughs> it's like an analogy in sports. We always think the tactics is like, oh, this will make us win. No, like, you know, uh, slap shot and uh, one, one, one. And it's the basic things that works. It's And it's true in cyber world still today, right? That's why we see a shift a lot in phishing, trying to hack human instead of trying hack machine and then find vulnerabilities and unpatch system. And I, I, I mean, there's sophisticated attack where, oh, we'll hack and men in the middle and RFID uh, communication where we can insert some code here and there, of course, and it's crazy stuff. But yet, I think from my perspective and my point of view, what we saw in the past is the same thing we see today. It's just more evolved and complex, but it's still the basic. I don't know if, if Troy, you agree, but it's 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 what I think. In my um, I, I think to a, to a large extent, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, I think one of the the major shifts that that I've seen, at least over the last ten years, um, quite honestly, is is the motivations for things that are driving threat actors. Um, I mean, so obviously the, you know, the network footprints are, are, are much larger. They're much more complex now than, uh, than I think they, they ever have been. Uh, but what threat actors have, have been able to do, um, one is kind of focus and target their motivations to, to the, you know, to trying to um, try to monetize their threats. And, and they're actually becoming incredibly successful at doing that through ransomware, ransomware as a service, extortion, double extortion sorts of uh, campaigns. But I think one of the other um, major impacts and major shifts we've seen, at least over the last five years, is targeting um, maybe less mature organizations because with the advent of ransomware, they're now able to monetize those threats a lot easier than they would have been, you know, maybe 10 years ago where, you know, identities, stealing identities and, uh, you know, credit card numbers and, you know, the types of things that they could quickly turn into to a buck here or there um, was, was the preferred avenue. But now, I mean, it is trivial to, to monetize a threat if you take down a, you know, a manufacturing organization, right? So, you know, the, the initial, the initial access to an environment, I think is still one of the hardest things for threat actors to, to obtain. There's all kinds of ways that, you know, that they can try to achieve it, but for the most part, unless it's a zero day vulnerability that they're able to, you know, to exploit um, relatively simply, which is getting easier to do. It's getting easier to, to identify and find the mm -hmm. vulnerabilities, and it's getting much easier to figure out how to weaponize them with the, you know, with the advent of AI and the kind of build on fuzzing and that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, the the ability to gain the initial the initial foothold you know, traditionally started with attacking the user. Uh, and I think we still have a lot of that going on, you know, through phishing, there's no question. Um, but once they gain that initial foothold, the the complexity uh, and the ability of the threat actors, I think uh, that exists today for them to live off the land and try to, you know, avoid detection, evade detection uh, is, is really, really ramped up, I'd say over the last probably seven, eight, 10 years, no question about that. So you mentioned something about the motivation. And so, Early on, when I was, you know, starting my career, going back almost 25 years now, it, when you heard about a cyber attack or cyber hack, it, it, the motivation was more around notoriety versus the financial gain, right? But today, do you, are you guys still seeing the notoriety factor play into come into play, or is it really just financial gain? Um, I, well, yeah, I think the financial gain is is the really is the big motivator, but obviously. 
you know, organization, these, these threat actor groups, these campaigns that exist, I mean, they, they want to be known for who they are and, and the types of environments they've taken down or they've compromised, no question about that. So, I mean, everybody wants to, you know, to, to make a, a name for themselves without a doubt, but, you know, if they're not able to monetize these threats, I think the threats diminish, you know, quite, quite quickly. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's multifaceted there. And, and there's one other thing that, that I think is important to understand is, you know, if you, if you get it real deep into the cyber threat intelligence tradecraft of understanding who these actors are, majority of them are very similar to, to you and I, right. They're just, you know, they probably started in the networking space and the, you know, routing switching space, or maybe even their legitimate offensive testers that their foreign, that their, their nation states, you know, took a, took a liking to and said, Hey, come work with us or, or come get involved right. in this. Um, so right, yeah, right. I think that's, that's the case. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Cause yeah, definitely. If there's no financial gain nowadays. I mean, you're, you're hearing more and more of that, obviously. Julia, I, I want to ask you this question here. So you're talking to a lot of clients, you know, given the role that you have on a day to day, right? You're talking to your team, you're talking to clients. I mean, you've been in this business a long time, as we all have been. What's the most significant threat that we're seeing today? If you can name one or two, like what's the most significant threat that we're seeing? Are, are there specific industries that are being targeted, uh, specific sectors that are more vulnerable? What's what's if you have to name one or two, what would they be? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question because it's really contextual and. I mean, we see phishing, we see vishing, um, stuff like that, but it's always contextual. If, if it's a, a tax uh, season, right, we will see tons of stuff towards that. If it's Christmas, uh, I mean, the threat actors, they know that there's going to be less people at the office than there is normally. So um, I, I would just answer by it's always contextual. <laughs> um, you know, before it was really, oh, you're in finance industry, you're going to get struck, you're going to get hit. And today, and I'm always doing this analogy for, you know, because we're, we're talking, and as you mentioned, we're talking with a lot of people. And before we were only talking with IT people. Today, anyone in the street will know about cybersecurity, which wasn't the case 15 years ago. We were preaching alone in a desert trying to explain <laughs> Oh, you're going to get breached. Oh, no, never. It doesn't happen to me, right? Because of this and that. Now, one of the analogy I use is, you know, a shark in the ocean is not eating human as his primary food, right? But if they come into a bleeding human, now it's a different thing, right? So we all saw Jaws. It's, it's handing out bad. But um, if you are on patch network on the internet, you are a bleeding human in the ocean, right? And there, there is shark out there and you will have issues and problems and you will get breached. Of course, even if you're not a main target for them, they will probably use you as Troy mentioned to monetize with ransomware or they will use you to impersonate your company targeting another company to do some obfuscation in the back end. And so you don't know who attack whom, right? So if you're not the main target, you're collateral damage. And this right. is especially true with the nation state attack, right? We didn't talk a lot about that type of threat actor, but it is most of the time you get breached. Why, why me? Well, you're just a collateral damage and that's it, right? And I don't want to spend too much time around that, but ransomware is seen as a, oh, they wanted to send a ransomware and they, you know, did something bad. And that was the goal. Not always. Sometimes it's just like they, they know that they will get like known uh, or so the notoriety you're saying. 
Yeah, and yes, there's that. But also, I mean, if they, they feel that they will get discovered by the blue team and stopped while trying to breach, right? They drop the ransomware and like they're getting out, right? It's not really for getting money out of it, but just not to be known. <laughs> it's the it's other distraction. Way, right? It's a distraction. distraction. Right? Yes, yes, yep. I see that. Julien, I hope you're not using the shark analogy in a PowerPoint presentation, man. That could look <laughs> ugly. <laughs> or it could really be <laughs> beneficial. Ooh. Who knows, man? But that's a good one. I like that one. Troy, uh, let me ask you this. Um, we, are, we are seeing a lot of emerging technologies, obviously. We talk about IoT yeah. was kind of, you know, I, now is a thing of the past, although it exists more and more. We're getting, you know, IoT is everywhere. IoT connectivity through our, our smart devices, our smart devices in the home. But we hear this, you know, artificial intelligence every day. How how is this helping us or making us even more at risk when we talk about AI and the IoT connectivity that we have in our in our day to day lives? Yeah, so I I think that's a that's a loaded question. Um, so from it from an off from a, from an attacker standpoint, well, let's let's just put it this way: um, defenders are thinking a lot about how can we leverage you know AI, LLMs, and you know other you know other forms of of generative uh, AI. Uh, on a regular basis, we're, we're we're always trying to figure out and think about new use cases for for applying it in different places. I think some you know with with some some level of success, um, and, and I think some use cases probably are, haven't worked out the way that we've imagined them. Uh, I can tell you that the bad guys, the threat actors, are using it too. Right? They are leveraging it in a big way to identify you know uh, you know unknown vulnerabilities. Uh, zero days are are flying out. Uh, on a daily basis at, at this point, um, they're being weaponized, they're being exploited, they're being built into campaigns um, quicker than they ever have been. And that really all is is, is a byproduct of, of them leveraging the same sort of AI capabilities that we have at our fingertips as well, right? So again, um, and this is, I think, one, one trend that has never gone away uh, in my 25 years and never will. We are still in a race condition with these folks, right? Um, everything that we have at our fingertips to defend what, um, you know, against them, they actually have the ability um, to, to leverage that, that same technology. So, um, so that, that's, that's really all I'm going to say about AI. It, I think it, it is, uh, we, we will know a lot more in a year uh, and then a lot more in, in two years about where this space is going. Um, on the IoT front, um, I, I think that that is still a a bit of a wild, wild west, uh, you know, kind of uncharted frontier for defenders, at least, but it's not necessarily for for threat actors. Uh, there's a recent report that just came out. I was reading it this morning. The manufacturing industry is was the leading industry that was attacked in 2023 um, by threat actors. And there's a, a number of reasons for that. But the biggest one is, one, they're more likely to pay the ransoms. Um, because if their conveyor belts stop working, uh, they are in, are in big trouble, right? Uh, so that's easy to monetize. Two, a lot of their environments are built on IoT, right? They're built on, on devices that are generally hard to patch, hard to remediate, if you can even remediate them at all. Um, and a lot of times it's hard to even monitor and detect what's going on in those things. So in my opinion, I think those two reasons are why manufacturing is, is, has, has led the, the, the rest of the industries and the types and, and the quantity of attacks that they saw last year. Awesome. Thank, thanks for that. So you touched a bit, Troy, on the, the future, right? So you said you know, the next couple of years are going to be interesting. Now, I have a, I have a curveball type question here because um, the future of cybersecurity. I, the, I think we all know what happened at MGM. The attack that happened it was an employee phishing. The bad actor was able to grab the password or get a password reset, and then they were able to access the network. And obviously, through through escalation and privilege escalation, they were able to kind of move around and do what they need to do. So I went on record by saying, well, maybe we should have 
in a case like that, if there was video incorporated in that in that conversation, maybe the employee would have maybe realized that the individual on the other end was not gonna was not an actual employee or whatever. There could have been an extra layer of of security. Mm -hmm. But then you bring in deepfake, deepfakes into the situation. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Yeah. Like like where are we going with this? Like how now? Like I, I'm kind of you know bringing back my my comments and saying, well, the video would have solved the problem, but I'm not even sure of that. What's what's going to happen next? I mean, what's what does the future look like? Yeah, I mean, you, you, in a broader way, in a broader, I, it's just to, to have fun. Let's imagine deepfake plus quantum plus AI plus ransomware. Right? I see that as being a huge problem eventually for sure. Now, what are we going to do? How are we going to answer to that? Quantum calculation in the back end. <laughs> And, and if you, you put your shoes in an insurance company, for example, mm -hmm. how are you going to be able to say, I'm going to insure you against right. threat in the future where we don't even know how strong those computers are going to be. And they will be able to like decipher stuff that we think is impossible to today. So I think that this is a really interesting question where we can be talking about all of the oh, use case of what's going to happen and not, and not. But I think Troy was in a really interesting direction where what's the motivation? And this will make every, everything else evolve in one way or the other, right? Today it's money, money, money. And then, you know, we're in a world of um, consuming, 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 right? Consumerism, so, yeah. Your kids are probably playing uh, Roblox or, uh, you know, those, and it's microtransaction driven, right? So um, where are we going with that? Are the future motivation are going to be still consuming? For sure, probably. Of course, now, I mean, it's, it's a very fun question, but I, I would just say that uh, quantum is going to be, the, and it's already the, the thing, right? Because AI is kind of an uh, at a pl plateau, right? So, and I think it's a uh, Microsoft owner uh, who said, "Well, it's for now. It's 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 stable. It's not anymore driving a new any new innovation. It it's probably is right. But before cars are being driven by themselves out there everywhere in the world, <laughs> and, and other innovation like that, AI is going to get stuck into a you know it's a chatbot. We can." amplify everything with it for sure do stuff faster and all and then do code and yes but it, i mean before an ai is going to walk out there it's it's not tomorrow it's going to happen but it's it's on a plateau right so i think quantum is something that is going to be really um changing the game changer Yes, the face. That's that's an interesting that's an interesting uh, uh, way of looking at it, Julian. I didn't I didn't I never I never considered the quantum actual you know being being a game changer like that. But Troy, you were going to say something earlier. I'm curious to get your thoughts. Yeah, I was. Um, I'm going to dumb it down a little bit. Um, you know, the conversation around quantum and AI and you know you know all the motivations are you know that's all one thing. But um, back going back to the basics of you know security awareness, security education. Um, and, and, you know, building mature security programs and, and practices, I, I think really, really is the key. I mean, if, if we if we look across the threat landscape today, 
Um, and obviously we could try to predict what it will look like next year and, and, and in the future. Um, majority of the problems that we see, the ability to gain initial footholds um, in, in environments, th those stem from, from two or three places, right? You attack the user through phishing or some other, you know, some other sort of attack directly at the user, uh, or you have, you know, bad or relatively slow security hygiene or, or, or hygiene in your environments and, and, and you're leaving yourself open for compromise. Now, you know, obviously there are, you know, there are credentials that, that can be abused and then all of those things, but that can also still go back to the user, right? If, if, if you're using the same passwords for, you know, for a number of different services, both personal and, and, and commercial, um, you know, those are, those are problems that, that, that you're really inviting on, on yourself. So train your user base, right? So that they can, you know, at least be a, a kind of a, um, you know, a layer of defense for, you know, for that initial, that initial access, that initial foothold that threat actors need to get. Because if they can't get in your environment, you know, what are they going to be able to do, right? Really kind of the key. And we spend a lot of time, you know, at GoSecure uh, thinking about, you know, how mature our security programs, how can we help you better understand how to mature your security programs and what areas need to be mature if we, if we, if we put the maturity of your security program in the context of what are the threats that you actually care about. And we leverage tools that we have available to us, like the MITRE attack framework. I went all in on MITRE about seven years ago, and, and I'm still all in on, on the MITRE attack framework. In fact, uh, I'm pushing it hard at, at GoSecure and everything that we do. That is literally the playbook for what threat actors do, right? If we have the playbook, then we should be leveraging that playbook to figure out and help better understand where we are good at defending against the things that these threat actors do and where we're, maybe we're not good so that it can help us drive investment uh, in, in remediating those areas of our program that, that need some maturation to them. So back to the basics, I think, is, is probably the, the easiest thing that we could do. It's not particularly easy, but it's, you know, it, it's, it's go to the basics and start there. Yeah, that's very, very sound advice, Troy. And frankly, some, sometimes you just need to dumb it down, like you said, right? Just start. If they can't get in, that's a first step, right? Just yeah. so, you know, trying to protect everything inside and you haven't locked the front door, you know what I mean? So so that's a very good piece of advice. And actually, you answered my question about, you know, what are the effective strategies organizations? And so I'll, I'll turn this over to you, Julien. So obviously, you know, being a GoSecure for a long time, and you've seen a lot of professionals come and go, uh, whether it be GoSecure and other organizations, uh, before we wrap up, maybe just give us some advice, you, you know, to an aspiring cybersecurity professional out there today, uh, considering to keep and, uh, keep a long term uh, profession or I guess a career in, in cybersecurity. What would you give them as some, you know, some advice if you if you were talking to them today? That's a very interesting question. My 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 path is uh, a bit different than a, a normal cybersecurity professional, starting from tech to moving to sell to moving to executive. Uh, I mean, um, I think cybersecurity is a amazing world where if you're just curious and paranoia, <laughs> you're <laughs> going to be fine, right? If I mean, it's it's one of the, the, the most important thing. We're all paranoiac, right? If, if I'm, I'm getting asked, what should I do uh, to be secure? Well, I'm going to list you the whole <laughs> things, mm -hmm. a whole multi-layer approach, right? Where... If, if you're an organization that has not enough money to do everything, there's a list of things that are more prioritized that you should be prioritizing on. But yeah, I would just maybe say, uh, be curious, try stuff and then learn from the actual uh, things that are happening within that world of cybersecurity. And big fan of communities, like, you know, 
B-Side, uh, OASP, and uh, uh, NordSec, ActFest, GoSec, and, uh, um, you know, the larger one like RSA Conference and Black Hat and DEF CON, of course. But I mean, if, if you just go within the small local community and, and go there and learn, I mean, you will thrive in cybersecurity, I think, because it's, it's teamwork, right? We're not enough exchanging together in those community where hackers like they call them the the threat actors right because i don't like the hackers work uh, right but anyway that's a good way uh, of putting it yeah they are organized they are and if, if you ask uh, the research team and troy might know about that as well but the, you know they are well organized like one team is breaking into your network and then they open a ticket and pass it to the next team where wow. they do exploit and pass it to the next team where they do exfiltrate pass it you know they have a, a, a ticket system based to be organized as threat actor oh we like like that and small community not enough right that's a, that's a very good point julian you say so you say the threat actor the threat actors are more organized and have more commu sense of community than the actual good good guys or good good girls i should say yeah wow yeah. troy you want to no say question. something before we wrap yeah i do I, I, on that same that same topic i'm going to go a little bit of a different direction so i actually i i spent a lot of time you know talking with with younger younger folks who, who want to get into this industry and and one of the things that I tell them, and it's probably about the last two or three years I've started saying this, is is I remember I remember exactly where I was. I was stationed in Hawaii in Kanaue Bay, Hawaii, when Google was released. Right when Google was was released, and and the ability to to understand how to interact with Google to to learn the things that we needed to learn. None of us read these books, right? We, we were Google hacking our way through Google to to learn, um, you know, the the things that we were doing, and and that's how I'd say. Just about anybody, you know, graybeard like myself and others, we spent most of our time in Google trying to figure things out. Um, now the kids that are coming up, they're going to have to learn how to interact with the AI, right? The, the AI is going to be the AI, ChatGPT, or wherever those those Open AI, wherever those things go, that's who what they're going to have to learn how to interact with. They're going to have to learn how to how to create the correct prompts to get the right sort of responses that they want, the type of data sets that that they want to query. Can we use open uh, you know open uh, data sets versus closed data sets? How do we build those things so that we can ask the you know ask those models the questions that we want? Um, and, and they're going to have to you know kind of go through the the pains of of learning how to build, I don't say that relationship, but build that that capability um, to structure and query the questions in the right way to get the right answers. That's that's point number one. Point number two is uh, if you want to get into cybersecurity uh, and you and you want to have a you know a lengthy career, um, you can't forget about again, you can't forget about the underlying underlying technologies of how all this stuff works. So go back to the OSI model, right? Understand how TCP IP works, understand how networking works. I think a lot of that has gotten lost over the last couple of years. You know, we're security folks were, were never networking people, right? They they they, they never did it. So they don't understand that context of how data moves around in an environment. Uh, understand how Active Directory works, understand how identities and stuff are are interacted with in these in these trust environments. Um, you, know, it, you know, I guess we could leave it there, but it, again, back to the basics is, is always important too. That's very good advice, Troy. I appreciate that. Yeah. Get back to the basics and you're right. So some of the stuff that we were doing 20 years ago has completely been forgotten because we just take it for granted now. Definitely a lot more to think about and talk about over the next few months as uh, things evolve. So gentlemen, I want to thank you uh, for taking the time today. This was really one of the most fun podcasts that I've uh, been able to, to participate in. So I appreciate the time. I uh, hope you guys have a great weekend and thanks again for watching.